All right, let's take some time to look at Scripture today. If you're a guest with us today, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to spend some time looking at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6 is where we're headed. If you have a, a smartphone, you can find it there, or maybe in the pew Bible that's in the rack in front of you, or um, in, the, in the east, there's some people moving around in Lovington. There's some uh, Bibles in the pew rack there. I welcome each of you here today, everybody in the east, the west, in Lovington, and also now online. Our services are, are broadcast live online now as they occur, so... If you're at home in your dramas, you can still watch, okay? Though we'd prefer you didn't wear your dramas here when you come here, for the most part. Though if you need to wear your dramas when you come to church, that's fine. We'll be glad if you worship God regardless. Jammies. Jammies. That's my Australian coming out. Okay, thank you. Ja- jammy. Jammies. Okay, say so I would say pajamas. That's not right here in Illinois, apparently. Nonetheless. We're gonna read Hebrews chapter six in a moment or two. And um, in order to get ready for that, you know, at, at this time of the year, crossing from one year to the next, you always, do, if you're like me, you do some evaluation, right? And, and you, you say, oh, what are some things that I need to look at that I did last year, I want to do this year, and you get the idea. And in order to begin that conversation, I'd like you to take a look at a photo of a guy by the name of Sven, Sven Sashlaber. There's an interesting word, Sven Sashlaber. The photo you see right there is where he is looking for a needle in a haystack, literally. He actually looked for a needle in a haystack and found one. Here's the story. He's a performance artist and he spent 12 hours a day doing nothing but looking for the needle that somebody had placed in a haystack in a museum that was hosting this event in Paris, France. What's the art involved in that? That's a reasonable question. That doesn't look all that particularly interesting, but the art, according to Mr. Sven, was how, how many people would come and simply watch him looking for the needle. Piece of hay, piece of hay, piece of hay, needle. And that was the art to see how people would respond. Now, I gotta tell you, friends, I'd need a little patience if that was my job. I mean, frankly, I'd need a little patience just to go and watch him doing his job. Doesn't, but the French, they were so intrigued by this, they actually had a TV, um, television station broadcast the whole thing live. Wow. That's engaging television right there. <laughs> Watching a guy look for a needle in a haystack. He actually found one. 12 hours for the first day, nothing. Hey, hey, hey. Six hours into his second day, hey, hey, needle. He found the needle. Now, how about you? But I wouldn't do it unless they paid me a ton of money. I, I don't have the patience for that. I mean, however, I'm aware that I'm in sometimes some have need of some extra doses of patience. And maybe that project might help me. But I would say this. If, they, if you see a sign-up sheet coming around asking for an artist to do that in the museum in Decatur, Illinois, don't sign me up, please. Please don't. I probably don't have enough patience for it yet. Um, and in order to help me with that, or to help you with a similar idea, would you read scripture with me today and see how it might apply to some of the things that we might need in 2019? Maybe patience is one of them, or at least some other attributes that scripture would call us to. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13, we read this. When God made his promise to Abraham, 
Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. What, what's going on there? Well, usually when you swear by something, you swear by the Bible. You know, put your hand on the Bible, I swear the Bible, or I swear by my mother, on my mother's grave and that sort of stuff. Well, you, what's, what's going on here is God doesn't have anybody to do that for or with. Or, so he's saying, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Notice he was waiting patiently. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he concluded that, or he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. And that's what we're going to figure out today. What are the two un- things that, are, that you say are unchangeable? Since God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, we, are, we who have fled sin, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, he did all this, Why? so that we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Now, friends, I gotta tell you, this is a very complicated passage of scripture. And you have to listen carefully and unpack it with me today. Because first of all, it does speak to the issue of patience. And we need, we need to pay attention to what it says there. After all, We've just waited for the light. Throughout the Advent season, we had this series going and this idea that we were waiting for the light. But now we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has come. And now what does it mean to actually live in the light? If so, does that mean anything to do with patience? Well, let's see what we can figure out from this passage of Scripture. This passage speaks of a time long ago when God made a promise to a fellow by the name of Abram, who later became known as Abram. He had a wife by the name of Sarai, who eventually became known as Sarah. God says, this makes this promise to Abram, Abram, you're going to have this great nation. And in fact, that's what occurred. Abram was the forefather, the forerunner, if you will, to all Jewish people. And Hebrew states that God, God brought about two unchangeable moments in Abram's life. What were they and how can they impact us? Well, again, going back to the early scriptures in Genesis chapter 12, we read of God's first interaction with Abraham or Abram. Namely, it comes in the form of a promise. God says to Abram, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the first unchangeable moment, the unchangeable action by God for Abraham's sake. Here's what's going on there. Here's what's being said. Hebrews is saying that when God makes a promise, it's a done deal. If, If there's something that's written in Scripture that this is the way it is, then that's the way it is. For example... When God and Jesus Christ, just before Jesus left and went to heaven after his ministry, he said to the people who were gathered around him, to his followers and in proxy to us who follow him today, he said to them, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a declarative statement by God Almighty and Jesus Christ. And that's the case. We may not always feel, we may not always feel like God is with us. We may not always feel like Jesus through the work of his Holy Spirit is with us, but that's That's our emotions. That's our feelings. That is not what is actual fact. 
in terms of our emotions. We can't always rely on our emotions. Instead, when Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age, then he's there, regardless of our emotions or our feelings. So the first unchangeable thing in Abram's life was that God made a promise. And there's a second unchangeable action on God's part regarding Abraham. He said to him in Genesis 22, the first time it's in chapter 12, then you get to Genesis 22, God says, I swear by myself, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. There's the second unchangeable action on God's part regarding Abraham. God made an oath. Genesis 22, pardon me, Genesis 12, God makes a promise. Genesis 22, God then makes an oath. And the result today, when you look around today and you see Jewish people around today, they are, think about it, they are the longest standing nation, group of people, ethnicity of all time. And so in Genesis 12, when God says, I'll make you a nation, then when we look at them today, either the Jewish nation of ancient days or the Israeli nation of today, they are the examples, if you will, of what God, when God says, I'm going to do something, then his unchanging work and his, if you will, his sustaining power of taking care of Israel through all of history, Hebrews is saying, look at that as an example of for your own life when you need hope. Because we are to be encouraged. Look again, verse 18. In verse 18 it says, God did this. God made this oath and this promise so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled sin to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. The result of us looking at this promise and this oath and how it's played out throughout all of history, that there is still a Jewish nation today, is to provide us with encouragement. The fulfillment, if you will, then, of God's promise and oath are put in place. Israel is in place today as an encouragement in hope. So in other words, in the coming year, there's going to be a moment, perhaps, when you're going to feel like a ton of bricks has landed on your desk or probably on your chest, right? And there's the, the stress and the, uh, all the things that are in front of you. Hebrews is saying, remember God's promise and God's oath to Abraham. He, he waited a really, really long time to see how this promise was going to play out. Maybe you know this. He was way past childbearing years. His wife, Sarai, later known as Sarah, was well past menopause. I mean, decades past menopause before they even had their first son, Isaac. We would say, well, they had the patience of Job. Well, this is probably before Job came along. They had, if you will, the patience of Abraham and Sarah. They waited and waited and waited for God's promise to be fulfilled. Then they waited and waited some more. Then you know what they did after that? They waited some more. And yet, the scriptures tell us, they trusted God. So Hebrews says, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, hold on tightly to hope. Because when you're hanging on for dear life, God promises to act as a rope of hope. Scripture says this in verse 18, take hold of the hope set before us so that we may be greatly encouraged. 
We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. This, this whole thing we can hold on to, we have it firm and secure. Abraham, as our example, trusted God's promise, and you, you can too, I can too. And with that encouragement then, I have some implications of how that might work in our lives in the coming year. I want to give you today, not a full list, but a beginning list of some of the implications of saying that God encourages us and gives us hope. The first one, the first implication of God's encouragement is this, patience. That sometimes God's plan takes time. And this makes sense. Because sometimes we want to get ahead of the schedule. We want to force an issue. But it makes more sense to me if you can kind of get above the weeds is that if God is God, then wouldn't you rather abide by his timing as compared to your own? And You're like me, right? There's this project, this event that you desperately want to see come along. There's this moment in your family's life or at work where you say, man, if only this would come along and fair enough. It's my observation that when we allow God to orchestrate the moment, the music is much fuller. It's like a symphony orchestra playing versus a solo instrument. A solo instrument can be absolutely beautiful, but if you want to understand the scale and magnitude of all that's there, man, I want God's creativity to play out in my life completely. And when I do that, then the hope sound is far more pleasant. I want to live in God's timing. I want to live in that light. But who are we kidding? Sometimes that's hard. How do we live in the light and wait on God's timing? Well, here's an idea for you. We have to lean into God's faithfulness instead of our own fickleness. And that's what's going on here in Hebrews. Hebrews is saying, hey, remember what God did. Remember how God made a promise and made an oath, two things that were unchangeable. He doesn't lie. And eventually it came into play. I like this metaphor of leaning into God. Sometimes when people come to me for prayer of late, I've noticed that this must be kind of in my thinking in the last few months. I find myself using this sort of language in prayer out loud. God, we have a history with you. You've been faithful in the past. And we're leaning into that faithful story of what we saw you accomplish last time we had a need. And we'll lean some more. Hebrews is saying that. This faithful story of God with Abraham. Lean into that. Maybe I could explain it this way. Leslie and I went to see the new Mary Poppins movie the last few, sometime over the last few days. And uh, it's called Mary Poppins Revisited. Returns. Oh, right. I'll get that right. It's, a, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever it's called. All right. There's a group of characters in the movie called the Learys. They got my attention. Okay. The Learys. Who are the Learys? Well, the, the movie depicts London in the early 20th century. There's some people still riding horses and buggies and some people are driving cars. And the street lamps to keep all the lights lit were run by gas in those days. And each evening, someone, namely a Leary, had to come and get up on a ladder, lean against the lamppost, climb up the ladder, and then with an open flame, light the lamp. And time after time, the movie shows these actors high up on lampposts, leaning in. And it caught my attention. Since then, I did a little bit of research about how they created those lampposts for the movies. The lampposts, at one point, there's this scene you can see that there are some 80 or 90 dancers all dressed as Learys. And, 
And they literally are swinging round and round the lampposts. And I'm thinking, what, how are those lampposts set? How do those set pieces, how are they grounded in, uh, you know, on the set for them not to swing? You got these men and women swinging around, swinging around, swinging around. How come those lampposts didn't move? And while I was watching the movie, I thought, man, I was reminded of my language in prayer times. God, help us to lean in. Help me to lean in. Those lampposts were, those lampposts were so groundly firm, firmly, grounded firmly, if you will, as these set pieces so that when the actors and the dancers are swinging round and round, that they're safe as they go around those posts. Friends, remember this. That God is grounded in his word and promises, no matter how heavy the struggles are that have got you swinging all around and around all over the place. As you lean in, God can manage it. Be encouraged. I have another implication of God's encouragement today. And before I tell tell you what it is, I want to start by telling you an event that took place at my parents' home in just the last few days. They live in White Rock, British Columbia. It's a seaside town, and when Leslie and I and the family go up there to visit, we walk literally down what's almost like the edge of a cliff. You can walk down this very, very steep path down to the seashore, and you get down there, and there's a boardwalk, and we would do that at least once a day when we're up there. We do it every, whenever we go, and then we walk out onto the local pier. Well, last week, a strong wind, a very strong wind, blew in from the west of Western Pacific, and the boats that were moored and anchored to the pier got loose. They, they ran into the pier. There was, there's a slip there that got loose as well. And they literally tore up the pier. One guy, actually, you can see where, it is, where the pier is broken there. One guy was out at the very end when the pier broke apart. And he was stranded out there wondering how he's going to get back. There he is. Look at him there. How do you get back? Okay, all the boats are running loose. Well, you have to have the call the Canadian Coast Guard. And they come helicopter you out. You up for that? That'd be an int- that's a story to tell your kids, right? Right? And the, the officials say it's going to be months and millions of dollars before the, the pier is repair, repaired. And you go, Wayne, I don't like the look of that. If this isn't supposed to be encouragement, I'm not look, liking that one bit. I don't want my life to be like that. Because, frankly, the anchors of the boats and the mooring slip gave way in the storm. But here's the implication for us regarding God's encouragement. God is an anchor far different than that. Scripture tells us that God is an anchor for the soul. Scripture states with this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And you can contrast that anchor with any other anchor that the world may offer. In other words, what you saw in that video is not the way that God anchors our lives. It's in complete contrast. The wind may blow, it may push a gale through your life in 2019, but be encouraged. God's hope in you is an anchor that cannot be moved by any wind whatsoever. And how will you know that? Well, here's another implication. You'll know it because our hope is in Jesus Christ who gives us access to God's presence. Look again at the scripture. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. All right? It says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. What's going on there? Perhaps this is new to some of you. Let let me see if I can explain this. That prior to Jesus' death, only one person a year could go into God's presence. What? Okay, so in Jerusalem there was a temple 
and you go from one court to the next court to the next, you go from the outside to the inner, the inner, the inner, the, in the very center, the very inner court, um, it was called the Holy of Holies. And here's what we know, that um, God's presence would come down and be in that very Holy of Holies. And once a year, the high priest of the nation of Israel, he would go in behind this curtain that was in front of the Holy of Holies. It was a tall curtain. It went from the floor to the ceiling, about 40 feet high, we think, and about four inches thick, made up of all these different fabrics that were actually woven together back and forth, and there was no way anyone could pull it apart. But here's what happened. Jesus is on the cross. He dies as he says it is finished, and something phenomenal happened to that room where God's presence was, that the high priest could only go into. He'd go in there once a year and ask for atonement for the people's sins, for forgiveness of the nation's sin. Jesus dies, and the history tells us, for some strange reason from the point of view of history, that curtain just tore right in half, right at that moment. God tore the curtain. Here's what's, here's what's being done there. At Jesus' death... God's presence, which beforehand had only been accessible for one person once a year on the Day of Atonement, now God's presence was available to all. Everybody could see where God was. In other words, what the Bible tells us is that as a result of Jesus' death, you can pray. You have access to God's presence. And you can listen to what God would say to you and you could hear God. You could experience God's presence and his work in your life in 2019 because God provided access to his presence through Jesus Christ. In other words, the coming year is not you going it alone in any way. No, the living light of Jesus Christ causes you to live in light as you experience God's presence and his work in and around you which would give us then one final encouragement for the day, at least today. In other words, based on the fact that because of what God did in Abraham, and we can see that as an example, that we can develop through the Spirit things like patience, and we can step into and lean into God's faithfulness. We can get this anchor for our souls, and we can say we have the presence of God. What do we do with all of that? Well, then we have a responsibility. We serve. And service can provide great encouragement. Here's why. Because I'm aware that services to others is a tool used by God to bring encouragement to both the served and the server, if you will, the servant. There's something wonderful about us helping someone else. It brings joy to our souls because we discover afresh, you know, life is not always just about us, not always about me. It's about others. We uncover in service, we uncover encouragement, we uncover hope. And if you anticipate that 2019 is going to be a difficult year, Maybe you've got some, you can see on the calendar where there's going to be, man, there's some stuff coming. Then balance that potential difficulty with service. Serving others gets the attention from ourselves. We move from self-pity or self-absorption to awareness of how God can use us in other people's lives. In other words, we get to shine for the sake of Jesus Christ. Our lives move from a self-centered focus to the encouragement of seeing God work through us for the sake of others. Let me explain it this way. I want you to take a look at a photo. What do you see here? This is a photo of the um, finals of the 2012 Olympics uh, for the 100-meter dash, 100-meter sprint, at the 2012 Olympics in London. What do you see there that's unique or different or fascinating? Do you see four people wearing bright green sneakers? 
Here's the story behind the sneakers. Five years before the 2012 Olympics, Adidas and the Olympic International Committee came up with an agreement that Adidas was going to provide all the apparel for the 2012 Olympics, all right? Now, Adidas paid a small, just a, just a few dollars for that, $201 million. They said, let us pay you money so we can give you clothes. $201 million. They did that in 2007, okay? The Olympics are still five years away. 2010, a sportswear executive by the name of Martin Lottie was given this responsibility. Here was his new title. He was declared he was the creative director for the Olympics line. But there was a problem. While Adidas had paid $201 million for the Olympic label, Lottie didn't work for Adidas. He worked for Nike. And Nike had this, they had this idea. While we didn't pay $201 million, how can we get people to recognize that we're at the games? So, they wanted to make a splash. So, here's how it went. Lottie and his team were doing all kinds of research on the apparel that Adidas was putting out for the Olympics. And in researching the contract, you know what they discovered? There was nothing in the contract about what people were wearing on their feet. It covered all their clothes and all the stuff, but there was nothing there about shoes. And so Nike had this brilliant idea. We have 400 athletes that are assigned to us, that are our athletes, they're professional athletes. What if we had all 400 of them wear the same color shoes? And they came up with this Volt Green, it's called. And so all their athletes were wearing Volt Green sneakers. And everybody noticed. Even the Canadian Olympic hurdler told the Toronto Star this, it's easy to notice the sneakers when you're watching them on the track. They stand out because now that I've told you the story, what do you see up there? Volt green sneakers, right? <laughs> and Nike didn't spend a penny other than make the shoes. Aren't you glad you weren't Adidas? Adidas going, we spent $200 million, $201 million and what's happening? Everyone's paying attention to the Nike feet. <laughs> Here's my idea, friends. Be encouraged because your service makes a difference. It can be noticed, not for what you're doing, but for the way it brings praise to God. Scripture says this, the feet of those who bring good news to others, the feet who bring good news to others, what are they considered? Beautiful. How lovely on the mountains are the feet who bring good news. All right? They are considered beautiful. Now, I don't know if the scriptures had in mind Nike Volt-colored covered sneakers. Probably not. But here's what I'm aware of. When you serve others, when you serve in Jesus' in Jesus name, it's not that people get to notice you, but they get to notice your service for the sake of others and for the sake of bringing glory to Jesus Christ. So, to that end, find a place of service in 2019, whether it be here at First Christian Church or elsewhere. Do you need help in finding a spot? We'll help you. Uh, but here's what I know. Last year, we did an evaluation uh, coming into our volunteer uh, service celebration. We, we did an evaluation and looked through all our records of where people were serving and how many people were serving in our congregation. We discovered that last year, almost, not quite 800 people from our congregation were serving in volunteer positions around the community. You know how many volunteer positions we took on around the community? 1,500. 1,500 different places in our church and around the community, our people are serving in 1,500 different roles. 800 of them. Almost 800. But I need you to be 801. 
If you're wondering about how God's going to be working in your life in 2019, strap on a pair of God-colored God sneakers and say, God, take me to places where I'm needed, where your name is needed, and where I can make a difference for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because here's what. If when we get involved in service, you know what? We get encouraged and we, we learn how to lean in. We learn how to be people of patience. We learn how to say that God is the anchor for our souls. We learn to have access to God's presence and we get to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ through caring for people and watching out for their lives in Jesus' name. I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for everybody who's here today, everybody who's listening online. Lord, I thank you that um, together we are discovering that the way in which you were so faithful to Abraham and Sarah and the way in which they waited patiently and the promise and the oath that you made have a dramatic impact upon our lives because that story provides us with a beginning story of faithfulness as we see that the nation called Israel is still a nation today. Generations, hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years later, your promise is still true. Lord, help us to hear your promises for our lives today. That we walk with Jesus Christ. That as we walk with him, we have access to your presence. That we can be people of prayer. That we can expect God for you to answer and for you to respond. That we can go in your name to the ministries of this church and the organizations around this community where, where your help is needed. We'll be the feet, God, who carry the good news. Lord, I pray that the coming year of 2019 will be a powerful year for all of us. God, for some of us, we're going to lean in, and it's going to be the umpteenth time we're leaning in, and it's somewhat easier to lean in for the umpteenth time because we've learned of your faithfulness in the past. For others, God, it might be the first time to lean in and to experience your comfort and your grace through Jesus Christ. But we lean in, and we ask, God, that you provide us great hope and encouragement for the coming year. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I'm asking you to stand in all three auditoriums right now, if you will, please, here in the west, the east, and in Lovington. And uh, in the front of all three rooms, there's going to be some folk who would be glad to have prayer with you today. We're going to worship the Lord together. And uh, as we worship the Lord, if you have a need within your life and you'd like to say, hey, I, I really would like God to deal with this, or I really had this really cool thing happen, I want to thank Him for it, or maybe you're here today and you go, I don't know a thing about this thing called Christian spirituality. I'd like to know what it means to have Jesus Christ. I'd like to live in His light. If you'd like to have some conversations like that or start some prayer conversations about it, we'd invite you to step forward at this time as the rest of the congregation worships the Lord together.